Riding in the town on saddles that are all blazing. Time to give you a sports talk podcast that you will find amazing. A new sports talking sheriff is in town who's outstanding. My name is Wendell Wallace, not Reggie Hammond. So in a matter of 48 hours, listening to Wendell's world of sports and all of his power will devour any negative perception you have of my podcast and put you on a positive direction about it real fast. The enlightenment and excitement you'll find in my episodes will have you dancing in the streets and ceilings, getting that feeling with thoughts and opinions that will provide proper sports talk healing. When I get that groove going, I get on a rampage like Jackson, my podcast overflowing with action that will leave you rolling in stones of satisfaction. I show out like Shohei, giving insightful thoughts and opinions about what's going on in sports all day and always, like Sinatra, doing it my way. When I start talking about sports, it becomes quite clear the champ is here. Not Cena, but Ali. Leaving sports fans hooked like a fish all over the hemisphere. I'll blow and steal your mind like Ricky Henderson stole bases back in his prime. Talking about the everyday of what's happening in the world of sports? I'll cover that like I'm Deion Sanders and still represent my Georgetown Hoyas, Washington Wizards, Nationals, and Commanders. So when you start to entangle and truly define my podcast as the most unique, insightful sports podcast going, What's the word, Kurt Angle? Oh, it's true! It's damn true! Wendell's World and Sports. Download, subscribe, follow, rate, review, and enjoy anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? What well, time's coming when we're going to have to ante up? Ante up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Bias, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. I got some special dedications I want to give out. I got some special dedications that I want to um, give to those who are listening to my podcast. Special dedication for those who are listening to my podcast in my hometown of the DMV, the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. I want to give some special dedication for those who are listening to my podcast in Los Angeles, California. I want to give some special dedication for those who are listening to my podcast in Enid, Oklahoma. I want to give some special dedication for those who are listening to my podcast in New York City. I want to give a special dedication for those who are listening to my podcast in Paris, France. I want to give special dedication for those who are listening to my podcast anywhere in Toronto or Vancouver or in Canada. Special dedication for those who are listening to my podcast in Bangladesh. Special dedication for those who are listening to my podcast in Pakistan, in Mesquite, Nevada, in Miami, Florida, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. Special dedication for those who are listening to the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Wendell's World of Sports with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. So doggone glad that we could be 
meeting again. A lot of great things to discuss today in the world of sports. I'm sorry, Eric G. Let me go ahead and get started with the program. But first, I have to say that anybody listening to my podcast, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, Amazon, do me a favor if you would, please. If you like what you're listening to, when it comes to my program, subscribe, download, follow, rate, review, do all those good things. And I've got some news about my um, YouTube episodes, me speaking about the NBA, me speaking about my Georgetown Hoyas. Haven't done it in a while. My apologies. Got myself a new job and I'm situated with that and things are going great with that. But uh, it's taken me away from my schedule, throwing me off a little bit. So there's three things that I really haven't done since I got my new job. Stay in shape, eat right, and uh, do my uh, podcast as far as the video podcast is concerned. So I'm definitely going to uh, get that together. So um, yeah, don't, don't, don't worry. Don't fret. It'll be there and that you can bet. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. All right, man, let's get into the uh, NFL. Let's get into what is happening in week 14. Let us get into what is going down as we head toward the end of the regular season in the NFL. Let's take a look at the playoff picture. I'm going to concentrate first on the uh, NFC. So after 14 weeks, we got the division leaders, the number one seed in the conference, of course, the Philadelphia Eagles with a 12-1 and record, another impressive victory over the beleaguered, over the failing, over the falling, over the disappointing, over the coming back down to earth, New York Giants on Sunday on the road. It's an impressive victory by the Eagles, just as impressive as the Giants fall from possible playoff contention. The Minnesota Vikings, the leaders in the NFC North, they are the number two seed at 10 and three. Does anybody out there, let me ask you, man, does anybody out there think that the Minnesota Vikings are playing like a team that could be a threat to the Philadelphia Eagles, that could be a threat to the San Francisco 49ers, that could be a threat to the uh, Dallas Cowboys? Any takers? You? 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 Yeah, that's what I thought. But they're the number two seed with a 10 and three record losing to the um, Detroit Lions. The number three seed in the NFC. In the NFC West, the division leaders at 9-4, the San Francisco 49ers. Now, I know you're going to be talking about Debo Samuel, what's going to be happening, what's going to be going on. San Francisco suffering another devastating injury. Reports are now that uh, Samuel is not going to miss the entire season. That was never really the initial report, but uh, there was not a break, just some, um, just some other type of uh, injury to that ankle. They're talking about he could be back before the end of the regular season, of course, if the 49ers can beat the Seattle Seahawks and clinch that division on Thursday. Something tells me then we're, in all likelihood, we will not be seeing Debo Samuel until the playoffs start, but we will see. But the San Francisco 49ers, the number three seed in the NFC, the number four seed, the number four seed, the number four seed leaders of the NFC South. The leaders of the NFC South who will have a home playoff game, regardless if they finish 6-11 and 11 and still win the conference. The Tampa Tom Buccaneers, 6-7. and seven. How did they look against San Francisco? At any time, any time, has anything looked anything close of a t- playoff team in uh, Tampa Bay? 
It's, it's almost like we're starting to just sit there and talk about, well, should they be doing this? We're, we're almost talking about the Buccaneers as a team where the season's over. Should they be playing this guy? Should they be playing that guy? Should they be giving this rookie a run? Should they be playing this younger fella? What about some of the um, older veterans? Are they going to be coming back next year? All of this stuff, you feel like talking about Tampa Bay, Tom Brady, his last year. He's got to retire after this year. What a horrible, what a disappointing way to go out. Just with such underachieving, with such disappointment. And yet, and still, they're on path to win their division. Albeit they stink. Albeit the division stinks. Albeit there's not a guarantee that the Buccaneers are going to win that division. But they're still leaders in that division and playing some of the worst football in the NFL. Lord have mercy, the NFL standings. So. Those are your division leaders. The number one seed leaders in the NFC East, Philadelphia Eagles. Number two, Minnesota Vikings, leaders of the NFC uh, North. Number three, the San Francisco 49ers, 9-4 record, leaders in the NFC West. And the leaders in the NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 6-7. and seven. The wild card teams, number five seed, Dallas Cowboys, 10-3. The number six uh, team, my Washington Commanders, 7-5-1. And, and still hanging on. Hanging on, just barely, the New York Giants, 7-6-1. And and on the outside looking in, we have the 8-6 Seattle Seahawks, the 6-7 Detroit Lions, another victory over the uh, Minnesota Vikings, or another victory, I think that's five out of the last six games after starting the season 1-6. and And remember when I was speaking about at the beginning of the season, which one of these teams who are supposed to be stinking out loud this season, which one is going to shock the world and do much better than they did or than what they're uh, uh, expected to be? And we talked about the Jets. We talked about the Houston Texans. We talked about the Jacksonville Jaguars. We talked about the Detroit Lions. We said, which one of those bottom dwellers? We talked about the New York Giants. We talked about the New York Jets. Which one of those bottom dwellers? We talked a little bit about the Washington Commanders. Which one of those bottom dwellers are going to um, surprise, are going to um, uh, over... um, outreach or, you know, outkick the coverage in terms of what their expectations are. One of those teams, along with the New York Jets, along with uh, some others, is the uh, is the Detroit Lions, who have been downtrodden and inept uh, for, for such a long time. But they've got Dan Campbell as their coach. They've got two really good coordinators. Um, we, we speak about this offensive coordinator for the um, Detroit Lions that I mentioned before in the um, last uh, podcast that I did, that I was listening to a podcast, and this guy, uh, Nate Tice, over at the Ringer was breaking down how incredible the uh, offensive coordinator is at the uh, for the Lions, and um, he was speaking about, hey, this is a situation where, you know, Detroit, you might as well, uh, you know, you might as well come to the reservation that this guy's going to be a head coach really soon because what he's doing with the Lions on offense, blah, 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 he looks like great head coaching material. So you guys better be worried for those who want to see him back doing the uh, offensive uh, play calling for the Detroit Lions. And I thought to myself, yeah, yeah, those guys should be worried. If you're a Detroit Lions fan, but as I said last week on the podcast, the fact that that offensive coordinator is black should uh, ease your mind just a little bit because we know about the hiring practices of minorities in the NFL. So why he may get a job, just ask Eric Bieniemy 
in terms of regardless of how good your offense is or how good of a coordinator that you are for a team such as the Kansas City football team and what you've done with Patrick Mahomes doesn't equate you getting a head coaching job. Um, some of that based on the color of your skin. But it's, it's funny the fact that uh, Sean McVay couldn't wait to get rid of Jared Goff. And the move that he made with the Lions to trade Jared Goff to the Lions in exchange for Matthew Stafford was one of the reasons why the Rams won the Super Bowl. But uh, long term, you see now that the offensive wizardry, the wonderkin, the Doogie Hauser of the NFL coaching profession, um, Sean McVay, the mastermind, all those type of things, uh, couldn't get the most out of uh, Jared Goff, but we see what he's doing now for the Detroit Lions. So, so good job right there, speaking about the Lions. Others on the outside looking in, in terms of playoff is concerned, the Green Bay Packers, the Carolina Panthers, the Atlanta Falcons are all 5-8, and eight, same with the Arizona Cardinals who are fleeting, the New Orleans New Orleans Saints and the LA Rams struggling. Chicago 3 and 10 has officially been eliminated from the NFL playoffs and you take a look man, Carolina and Atlanta. Now in Atlanta, quarterback Marcus Mariota leg injury in all probability done for the season, so I don't see Atlanta uh really doing anything to uh, win that division, but uh take a look at uh, Carolina. And take a look at the job Steve Wilkes has done. I don't know if he's going to get the job in terms of the head coaching job because after Matt Rule was fired by Carolina in the uh, season, that uh, the interim tag went to Steve Wilkes. Wilkes had a previous head coaching position. Oh, my goodness. Who was it with where he only went one year? It was with the Arizona Cardinals. One year, I think he won like two or three games, and they booted him after one year. But um, the way that he's coaching, he is putting himself in a position to be a real serious contender for that head coaching job. Uh, moving on the way that the Carolina Panthers are playing. And how can you not give Wilkes that job if the Panthers can somehow, some way, get into the playoffs? Albeit with a losing record, if they're going to be 8 or 9 or 9 or 8 or something like that, 9 and 8 is not a losing record. But what I'm saying is, in all likelihood, they'll lose another game. So if they can get into the playoffs, win that, AF, that NFC South division with an 8 and 9 record, I mean, it's a situation where wouldn't you have to give Steve Wilkes, serious consideration, especially if it's true what's being reported on CBS.com Sports that um, Sean that um, Sean Payton is eyeing the Los Angeles Chargers or Los Angeles Rams job. He likes it out there. He's what doing the broadcast for uh, Fox on Sundays with Bradshaw and those guys, James Brown and all. Not James Brown. He's on CBS, but uh, Bradshaw and uh, Howie Long and uh, Straight Handed those guys, and he's really enjoying it out there in LA. So um, he's really interested to uh, see about his possibilities if they open of coaching the Los Angeles Rams, the Los Angeles Chargers. Lord have mercy if you're the Los An- if you're if you're Sean Payton, I'm waiting on that Los Angeles Chargers job because woo to see Sean Payton coach Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert. Good. Did you see that game on Sunday night against the? Um, Lord have mercy, who did they play? Against the uh, Miami Dolphins. Did you see that game? Did you see Justin Herbert ball out like he was balling? My man, goodness gracious. Good Lord have mercy. What were they doing in Oregon? What were they thinking about in Oregon? Uh, he, did, he, he never showed anything close to what he's doing now when he played in Oregon. 
In the game between who's going to be regretting more as far as taking the quarterback is concerned, because if you remember in that game on Sunday night between um, between the, uh, the the Chargers and the Dolphins, the fact that Tua Tungabailoa was picked one spot ahead of uh, Justin Herbert, man, this is going to be something where it's like, hey, look, man, that's going to be like, a situation where it's not going to be Bowie and uh, Jordan or something like that, man. But that's going to be talked about in terms of, man, what the hell were the Miami Dolphins doing if Herbert lives up to expectations? And even if Tua does, I mean, Tua's been having two bad games. We'll get into the AFC in the next segment. But uh, but this is a situation where it's going to be like these guys are going to be linked to each other, Herbert and, and Tua. So games like this, it's going to count. Games like this, it's going to mean something let alone so late in the season with the uh, playoffs on the line and such. Hey, man, this is going to be a situation where, um, you know, this is going to be Tua, Herbert, conversation begins, blah, 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 same draft class, blah, 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 one draft to be filled the other, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be something moving forward. But, yeah, man, if I'm Sean Payton, I'm not – forget the Rams. The Rams are going to be in purgatory for a while because they mortgaged everything to win that Super Bowl. Uh, last uh, season, but yeah, man, if I'm Sean Payton, this the Los Angeles Chargers or nothing for me. But uh, again, we'll talk a little bit about that in the next segment. So those are the teams, and that's the picture. What's going on in the NFC? One more time: Philadelphia, Minnesota, San Francisco, Tampa Bay, top four teams. Wild card: Dallas, Washington, the Giants. Outside looking in, close but no cigar in terms of getting into the playoffs. Seattle, Detroit. Those just hanging around, Carolina, Atlanta, those just wasting time, Green Bay, Arizona, New Orleans, the Los Angeles Rams, and the Chicago Bears put uh, Justin Fields on ice and wait till next season, you have officially been eliminated. So the storylines going into the NFC or the storylines heading out of the NFC after week 14, you know the main thing has got to be the San Francisco 49ers, right? Suffering another devastating injury. I don't know. What would you describe... Debo Samuel's uh, injury devastating or I don't know because we we, kind of have to see in terms of if it's going to affect him even if he comes back if he comes back he's not going to be the same guy in terms of hey man you know Debo Samuel's coming back in a few weeks or before the end of the season so he's just going to pick up where he left off no not when he had the type of injury that he had not when you're being carted off the field like he was Sunday against the Buccaneers. No, he's not going to, he might recover. He might be ready to play, but he's not going to come back and be the guy that we all knew before the injury in this short amount of time. So when you speak about devastation, when you want to put the definition to the word devastation and apply it to uh, Debo Samuel getting injured, and right, that's right, I'm calling him Debo. I'm not calling him Debo because I love saying Debo. You understand what I'm saying? So when Debo finally gets uh, back to the uh, squad, what type of impact can he have with the 49ers moving forward, especially with the loss of uh, Jimmy Garoppolo at the quarterback position? But um, they look strong. They look really strong. They look really good against the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Purdy was pretty good, 16-21, 185 yards, uh, threw for two touchdowns, ran for another, led San Francisco to five touchdowns on their first seven possessions of the game. 49ers had 411 yards of total offense. The team averaged almost seven yards per play. 
Had over 200 yards rushing. Ding, 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 ding. 200 yards rushing. That's going to be the key moving forward while averaging almost six yards per carry on those um, on those carries. So Christian McCaffrey in only 14 carries had 119 yards. So, yeah, man, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they might have their flaws. This might not be the same defense, defense that won the Super Bowl, and this is not the same defense in Tampa Bay that's playing like a top five, top eight defense in the uh, NFL. But still, hey, man, that was very impressive. With a backup quarterback, with Mr. Irrelevant as the quarterback doing what he was doing, very impressive. The defense for the 49ers beat up, harassed, dominated Tom Brady in the Buccaneers offense. Brady, 34 pass attempts. I'm sorry, 55 pass attempts, 34 completions, 253 yards, 34 completions for only 253 yards. He averaged four and a half yards per pass with two bad interceptions, bad, 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 highly thrown, overthrown interceptions. Um, no balance on offense for the Buccaneers as usual. It's been a situation with them for years. The fact that they cannot run the ball. They cannot run the ball with any type of consistency. They threw the ball 55 times against the uh, 49ers. Only ran it 19 times for 69 yards. It was a really, really, really good performance by the San Francisco 49ers. So let me throw this out to you, man. Talk to me a little bit. 49ers, talk to your friends about this, man. Bring it up in uh, first period, third period. Bring it up, um, you know, at the water break, at the cooler. Bring it up during lunch. Bring it up while y'all are kicking back, uh, getting your work done. Bring it up at the, uh, bring it up at the uh, cubicles in your office, man. Ask a question. 49ers good enough? 49ers good enough to win the conference championship or Super Bowl? Has your expectations now of the 49ers diminish with the loss of not just Garoppolo out for the entire season, but the injury to Samuel, which means that, again, when he comes back, he is not going to be the same guy that he was before that injury happened. Is there enough in terms of the running game? Is there enough in terms of the defense? Is there enough in terms of Brock Purdy that's going to make you think that, yeah, no problem. We get, we got this. If, if you're a 49er fan, if you're living in San Mateo, if you're living in Burlingame, if you're living in Daly City, if you're living in San Francisco, the city itself, if you're living on the uh, other side of the bay, if you have to take the Dumbarton, if you have to take the Bay Bridge, if you have to uh, go ahead and do your thing, working, living, enjoying life in San Francisco, and you're a San Francisco 49er fan, talk to me, man. How do you feel about this team moving forward? Are your expectations now lower? Are you buying into Brock Purdy, knowing that to win a Super Bowl, let's just table Super Bowl just for a quick second, to get to the Super Bowl, not win a Super Bowl, but to get to the Super Bowl, in all likelihood, you're going to have to go up against that defense from the Philadelphia uh, Eagles. You're going to have to out-quarterback Jalen Hurts. Now, Jalen Hurts has zero on his resume in terms of what he's going to be doing as far as the quarterback in the playoffs for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, he had one game last uh, season but in, in, in the playoffs for Philadelphia, but that's not enough to really build a resin, resume to really give us a good indication of how he's going to do in the playoffs. But still, you got this team in Philadelphia where you're going to have to put up points. You got a team in the Dallas Cowboys who are going to be fighting their own battles to say, hey, look, we need to overcome years upon years of underachieving 
in the playoffs. So you're going to have Prescott. You're going to have that defense. You're going to have Micah Parsons to go up against. What happens with the Minnesota if Kirk Cousins decides to play a whole game where he's going to be efficient? You have Justin Jefferson. The defense from Minnesota has been putrid, but with Brock Purdy, are you going to be comfortable enough to take advantage of that with a quarterback who is a rookie, Mr. Irrelevant, and really not going to have a huge impact or try to mitigate the type of impact that he can have on the team? If San Francisco is going to win, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. San Francisco is going to win. They're going to have to run the ball. They're going to have to rely on McCaffrey. They're going to have to rely on that running game, and they're going to have to rely on that defense regardless of who they're playing, regardless of how bad the defense is. They're not going to be asking Brock Purdy to throw the ball 35, 40 times and sling the ball around the field. He's incapable of doing that. With that type of handicap at the quarterback position, San Francisco 49er fans, let me hear you. Do they have enough from the running game and the defense to make it to the Super Bowl, man. That's all I'm asking. I say no. And it's a doggone shame. And, it, and it's kind of interesting because when you started the season for San Francisco, their measure of success was going to rely on the development of Trey Lance, right? That they were that the, the, the key was that they were going to trade Garoppolo at first and turn the give the keys completely over to Trey Lance and hope that his one year in terms of lear learning, red shirting in the NFL, whatever you want to call it, would put him in the position along with the pieces around them, the offensive skill positions, along with that defense to uh, hold them up, that they were that, that was going to be enough to get them to uh, where they wanted to go, which was compete for a championship. Now in Brock Purdy, you almost have a situation where you are going to be treating Brock Purdy similar to the way that you treated Trey Lance. Now, Lance is a much better athlete. Lance had a year in the San Francisco system. Lance would be a guy where you have the run-pass option, so you would have that uh, weapon to use at the quarterback position. But in terms, I don't care, man. I don't care if Trey Lance played the entire season. There was never going to be a situation in this season, I don't think, that... Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers were going to say, Trey Lance, go out there and win a football game for us from a classic quarterback type of position in terms of throwing the ball around the field and being a classic old school football player. He's more Lamar Jackson in terms of trying to take a game over and win it than someone like a Tom Brady or a Joe Burrow. In terms of if Trey Lance was going to get off and do a thing and put the team on his back to uh, win a football game, he was going to do it the way Justin Fields for Chicago was going to do it. He was going to do it the way that uh, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, which would mean blending in a whole lot of running and some passing. So if Trey Lance was going to win a football game for them and be the star of the show and all those type of things and take the applause and take the high five and take the boogaloo and the funky chicken too in the locker room after the game with his teammates getting down to the sounds of James Brown, then this was going to be a guy who at the end of the game was going to have statistics somewhere of like 150, 60, 70 yards passing and 140 or 50 yards rushing. There was never going to be a time where he was going to put up or ask 
They'd be put up numbers. Trey Lance, I'm speaking about. He was never going to be asked by the San Francisco 49ers to put up 300 yards passing, 350 yards passing, throw the ball 40, 45, 50 times, uh, throw for three or four touchdowns. He was never going to be asked to do those things. So now you've almost come full circle in terms of having Brock Purdy. The way you're going to treat him would be probably closer to the same way that you would be treating Trey Lance, even if Trey Lance never broke his ankle and missed the rest of the season. My thoughts and opinions about that is there's just no way that you can win a Super Bowl playing that way. Now, Jalen Hurts is bringing it up next level. Jalen Hurts, who is now in the discussion of being the MVP of the league, Even though, I mean, come on now, if you had a choice between Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts, who would you choose? But as we know, in the NFL's MVP, what do these writers or what do these voters like? They like storylines. They like something new. They like something intriguing. And Patrick Mahomes winning an MVP is boring. We've already seen that. We've already become numb to his excellence. We've already become blasé to his unbelievable plays. I mean, we'll get out there and do a ooh or a ah or a oh shit or this, that, and the other when Mahomes did something nutty or crazy or unbelievable, that touchdown pass he threw against Denver on Sunday where he just kind of flipped it. That was a ooh, that was a oh shit or the how the fuck did he, I mean, it was that type of uh, play. But haven't we seen something similar to that before from Patrick Mahomes? Hasn't he already won an MVP? Hasn't he already won a Super Bowl? I mean, what more can Patrick Mahomes do to top himself? So we've become numb to his greatness. We respect it, but it's like, yeah, we know Patrick Mahomes is great. It was the same thing when Michael Jordan was playing. It was the same thing when Shaquille O'Neal was playing. It was the same thing when you have these guys out there playing who are just putting up ridiculous numbers and we say, if you were to start a team, who would you choose first? If you were thrown that question out there as of moving forward to the 2023 season, and I asked you, hey man, if you had to start a team at the quarterback position, who are you choosing? Nine out of 10 of you would say Patrick Mahomes. And the one person who wouldn't say Patrick Mahomes would probably say Josh Allen. I'll even back that up a little bit. I'll say six or seven folks would probably say Patrick Mahomes, and three to four people would probably say Josh Allen. In all likelihood, Jalen Hurts ain't going to be that guy, but Jalen Hurts, the story that Jalen Hurts put together, the Cinderella story of Jalen Hurts' second-round pick, was never, ever expected to do what he's doing. Jalen Hurts was supposed to be a guy who was just supposed to be a backup to Carson Wentz. That's it. That's all. They'll sit there and talk about, oh yeah, we knew that's the reason why we drafted him in the second round because we knew that he would be a guy that would supplant Carson Wentz, blah, blah, blah. No, no. It was a situation where Carson Wentz was going to be the guy from Philadelphia moving forward. They needed a backup quarterback, second round pick, Jalen Hurts, no big deal. Did you see anything from Jalen Hurts when he was playing for uh, Dick Saban at Alabama, then switched over and played for Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma? Did you see anything that would be resembling something to where you would say Jalen Hurts, it would be possible in what, his second, third year in the league that he would be put in this position, that he would be doing this well? Yeah, he has Mike Sanders in a strong running game. Yeah, he has two studs at the wide receiver position. Yeah, he has an offensive line that's awesome. But hey man, Jalen Hurts is balling and he's balling and he's balling and then he's balling. We've already seen Patrick Mahomes. MVP discussion, make it interesting, throw in 
Jalen Hurts. What do you think, man? Oh, what do you think about that bullshit? Because I still think it's Patrick Mahomes, the MVP. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. But all of this talk gets back to my main point. That um, the San Francisco 49ers can't do it with Brock Purdy at the quarterback position. Whether Debu Samuels comes back or not. San Francisco can't win that Super Bowl. They can't make it to the Super Bowl <clears throat> without that uh, quarterback because somewhere, somehow, down the line in the playoffs, you're going to have to make a play to win a game. You're going to have to dominate or own or be great for the last six minutes of a game or a quarter of a game to win a Super Bowl. And San Francisco should know that as anybody. With Garoppolo. Yeah, Garoppolo was good enough to get you there, but Garoppolo was never going to be that guy to where if we needed to drive or if we need a quarter out of here or if we were down by three or four with six minutes left, I need for you to be special. Garoppolo was incapable of doing that. The evidence showed. So it's going to be the same thing, I think, with Brock Purdy. There's going to be a time where the San Francisco Niners are going to need a score. There's going to be a time when San Francisco is going to need a play for their quarterback. And despite having Samuels, despite having Ayuk, despite having George Kittle, despite having McCaffrey coming out of the backfield, I just don't think in a championship game or a conference game against the Cowboys or against the Eagles, I don't think that he can do it. I think that the 49ers are truly the third best team in the NFC. I think that the best team are the Philadelphia Eagles, the second best team, the Dallas Cowboys, third best team, the San Francisco 49ers, and then there's a big drop-off after that, even with Brock Purdy at the quarterback. That just shows you the skill players in the defense that the 49ers have that the San Francisco 49ers would maintain that level in terms of being the third best team in the NFC. But Don't think it's going to happen when everything is all said and done. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So, yeah, Debo Samuel injured his ankle, was carted off the field with tears in his eyes with 5'10 left to go in the second quarter. The NFL Network insider Tom Pelissero reported per a source, the 49ers wide receiver is believed to have avoided a major injury and is still being evaluated to learn more about the injury head coach shall Uh, Kyle Shanahan told reporters after the game that Samuels did not sustain an ankle fracture. Shanahan said it's most likely a high ankle sprain for Samuel and then later updated that he has suffered an MCL and ankle sprain and is expected to return at some point during the regular season. Again, I highly, highly doubt that if the 49ers can go ahead on Thursday, beat the Seattle Seahawks on the road and then clinch that division so yeah there you go there you go the the key for the 49ers man moving forward right or wrong christian mccaffrey as far as the offense is concerned christian mccaffrey san francisco's offense before mccaffrey took on a full-time role starting a week eight they before that they were 20 points per game which was 20th in the league, and they were averaging 355 yards per game, which was 13th. Since they acquired McCaffrey, they're averaging 28 points per game. That's fourth in the NFL. 369 yards per game, which is fifth in the NFL. Now, with McCaffrey, 
You have to kind of hold your breath and cross your fingers and believe to whatever God you believe in and hope to Jesus or hope to uh, Allah or hope to bring him young or whoever or hope to uh, whoever that uh, he can stay healthy because that's one thing that he hasn't been able to do. But uh, if he can continue to be the Christian McCaffrey that's been showing up and playing, hey, man, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. I still don't think that they can uh, make it to the Super Bowl. I still don't think that they can beat the Cowboys or the Eagles. But, uh, you know, greater things have happened. Nuttier things have happened. And I'm not Nostradamus, and I'm not right all the time, I don't think. So we'll see what happens. <clears throat> Do we have to talk about the Buccaneers? Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. You want to go there? You want to talk about this? <laughs> Man. Ooh, remember that time I was touting after the Super Bowl about how Byron Leftwich should at least get an opportunity to interview a sincere interview for an NFL head coaching position? Well, that's going down the drain, isn't it? Um, the Bucks are playing themselves right out of a playoff spot. Their offense is anemic. They're lackluster. They look uh, dazed. They look confused. They look disorganized. Uh, they look disjointed. They don't seem to have any team chemistry whatsoever. This team looks like a team that just can't wait for the season to be over to get to get away from each other. If you really think about it, there's no yelling and screaming and there's no fights on the sidelines and, and, and none of that stuff. But just the way they're playing, it, it seems like those guys are just like, hey, man, you know what, um, honey, when they get home after the game, when they got home after the game against the 49ers on their day off, it was like, honey, um, when do you want to take the vacation? Because it looks to me like if we could do that right after the season, that would be so much better. But damn it, we might make the playoffs. That's, that's the way it's kind of looking at it. You want... To uh, take uh, the kids, me, let's go to Cancun or let's go ahead and uh, relax and have some fun. But uh, unfortunately, we might make the playoffs where we're going to have a home game and get our asses blown out. And that will be the end of that. So, dagnabbit. Brady and the Bucks were completely non-competitive. A team that is quarterbacked by Tom Brady. The GOAT. The man. Non-competitive from the start to the finish. The 28-point win was the third largest defeat of Tom Brady's career. It was top three. The the largest uh, defeat he had was a couple of years ago. Remember that game on Sunday night against the New Orleans Saints where they lost uh, 38-3 and they threw the ball like 82 times or ran it only twice? 2003, when he was with New England, that's the game, that's the lawyer Malloy game, where they lost a 31 and nothing because the team was pissed off at Bill Belichick for trading lawyer Malloy or releasing lawyer Malloy. So those guys uh, went out against uh, Drew Bledsoe, I believe, with the quarterback for the Bills that game and uh, laid an egg. And Belichick was like, all right, y'all are mad at me, so I'll give you that one. But if you do that bullshit again, uh, some of y'all going to be looking for jobs somewhere else. Thank you. So I remember that game, but that was early in Tom Brady's career, and then the game this past Sunday, 35-7, 28-point blowout against the San Francisco 49ers. After the opening drive resulted in the missed field goal, the Bucks went three and out on four of their next five drives, and the game quickly went from 7 nothing to 28 nothing. And all, first, all four first-half touchdown drives for the 49ers went at least 60 yards. So not only were they inept and incompetent and non-competitive, in the on the offensive side of the uh, field, 
Also, on the defensive side, you realize that Tampa Bay is 6-7, and seven, as I mentioned before, and still leading the division. They have a one-game lead over Carolina and Atlanta in the, in the NFC South. Now, mentioned before, Carolina, I mean, uh, Atlanta don't like their chances because of the injury to uh, Mariota. But the last few weeks, man, the 49ers, I'm excuse me, the uh, Buccaneers, yeah, they've beaten the Rams. Yeah, they beat the uh, Seattle Seahawks. And yeah, they had that comeback victory against the Saints. But uh, they also lost to Cleveland with Jacoby Brissett at the quarterback. I guess now the way Deshaun Watson's playing, it really would have been bad if they would have lost with uh, Deshaun Watson playing the way he's played the last uh, two games. But when you miss over 700 days, that's going to happen to you. You need to uh, leave those girls alone, Deshaun. I also lost to, uh, and then were blown out against the San Francisco 49ers. So are we through with the... We just can't, we're just going to wait for Tom Brady to turn it on. Tom Brady can turn it on, but he ain't turning it on to the point where he can take this group to uh, anywhere special. It just ain't happening. They could end the season, speaking about the Buccaneers, they could end this season 8-9. and nine. Would you be surprised if they ended the season 7-10? and 10? I wouldn't. So, could a Carolina win the division? I mean, Carolina had the best win of the season against Seattle. The Panthers have won two games in a row through the last four. Have a head-to-head victory over the uh, Buccaneers. Sam Darnold at the quarterback. Do you believe? Do you think? <laughs> I mean, could it be possible? Could it be true? Now, they're going to rely on the defense, and they're going to rely on the uh, running game. But, geez, man, a team making a playoff with Sam Darnold after the Carolina Panthers jettisoned um, Baker Mayfield. P.J. Walker couldn't get the job done, and... Uh, did they put anybody else at the quarterback position to try to do some things? But, uh, man, I tell you, it was, it's been something. Steve Wilkes again, Steve Wilkes again, Steve Wilkes again, Steve Wilkes again. Give him some real, some, a real opportunity to get that job at the head coach if Carolina can go 8-9. and nine. Come on, man, get it done. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Any concern? from the performances of Dallas and Minnesota. I know you Cowboy fans are out there talking about this, that, and the other. And I know you Minnesota Vikings fans, all five of them are sitting up there talking about this, that, and the other. What do you think, man? Talk to me. Dallas, Minnesota. Dallas had to come, had to uh, rally, have a late game winning drive, beat the 1-11-1 Houston Texans and the Black Santa Claus, the Black uh, St. Nick, Lovey Smith with that... Uh, with that beard and shit, 27-23. to 23. You want to know why the Texans are the worst team in the league at 1-11-1? If I were um, Bryce Young, I might say, hey, how much NIL money can I get from Alabama? Um, the Texans led with the game, right? Uh, Tremont Smith's second interception of the game put the Texans at the Dallas four-yard line, leading by three points with 547 left to go. You would expect, you would think, you would hope, you would dream, you would believe but then again, in reality, maybe you wouldn't if you're a Texans fan and been watching this team all season long with Davis Mills at the quarterback position. And now, what are they doing? They are rotating. If you have two starting quarterbacks, you have none. You're doing that bullshit, uh, Lovey, Black St. Nick. The Cowboys, uh, again, um, turned the ball over. Houston had the ball on the Cowboys' four-yard line. 547 left to go. The Cowboys stopped backup quarterback Jeff, Dref, uh, Jeff Driscoll. And on a fourth down run after running back Rex Burkhead was upended for a loss of the previous play, 
from the one that's starting at the two-yard line. Don't worry, we're playing the 1-11-1 Houston Texans, said Dak Prescott. We got this. Completed passes of 21 and 13 yards to tight end Dalton Schultz. Completed an 18-yard pass to Noah Brown to get to the Houston 22-yard line. Texan fans, were you thinking like, yeah, we're going to lose this game? After Michael Gallup attempted a TD catch, was barely broken up, Elliott then scored on third down from the two to cap the 11-play drive to get themselves in the end zone, um, and that was with 41 seconds left. What is your take from this game, Cowboys fans? What should be your takeaway from this game? Dallas did what great teams do, beat a bad team on a bad night, if you're speaking about glass half full, when they needed to get the job done, that they uh, that they got it done, uh, because we we know what the we know how the story goes the last couple of years with the Cowboys in terms of the playoffs. Can you sing the song "Underachieving"? You can't because there isn't one. But if there was one, the Cowboys would be singing it. We are underachievers, we are underachievers, when the playoffs comes around, yeah, we are the underachievers. So, um, yeah, there's no guarantee that the Cowboys, that this is just a blip on the radar, but if you're a team, if you're a fan of the Cowboys, and you're speaking about glass half full, first of all, in the NFL, it's year to year. Each one of these teams change. So just because what happened a couple of years ago to the Cowboys in the playoffs or the mishap that they had against the 49ers last year in the playoffs near the end of the game where the clock management was uh, subpar, that doesn't mean anything moving forward. Any game, any given Sunday, any given Saturday, depending upon when the playoffs start, hey man, it's one game. So you never, ever, 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 ever knew um, but, you know, you take a look at the glass half full, man. Look, the Cowboys did what they needed to do. They won a game. This ain't college football. You know, this ain't some bullshit California college football uh, playoffs where they have a bunch of fucking eggheads sitting in a room somewhere trying to decide who the four best teams are. How about that? They actually do it in the game. So whether the Texans or the Dallas Cowboys beat the Texans by one or 100, a win is a win. So they're still in the position to uh, catch the Philadelphia Eagles. Dak Prescott coming back from injury looks like he's rounding into shape. And you take a look at the last three or four games that he's played. Uh, when you take a look at the statistics, when you take a look at his efficiency, when you take a look at the fact that the Cowboys have beaten teams like the Minnesota Vikings on the road 40-3, and yet the 10-3 and number two seeded team in the NFC division, a team that the Cowboys could be playing in the playoffs, the Minnesota Vikings, shellacked, beat them up 40-3. to on the road in Minnesota, they beat the Giants on Thanksgiving Day, 28-20. to Then scored 33 points in the fourth quarter to blow out Indianapolis, uh, 54-19. Again, Prescott seems to be coming back to his consistent 7th, the 10th best quarterback spot in the league. Games against Minnesota, games against New York, games against Indianapolis. Thrown 7 touchdowns, completed over 70% of his 85 passes. Ah! Cowboy fans, this is where you should be dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas and dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie with this stat. Balance. The offense has balance. Take a look, man. The last four games, they've ran the ball more than passing. And on two of those games, they ran the ball for over 200 times. Excuse me, for over 200 yards as a team. They ran the ball 40 times in two of those games. 
balance, if you can get that type of balance from your football team, man, that's some, that's you keep your defense off the field. You have to put a quarterback like Jalen Hurts into more of a role in terms of being a traditional quarterback and throwing the football. You put more pressure on Kirk Cousins to do something, and we've seen what Kirk Cousins can do with pressure in the playoffs, not much. We put the ball in the hands of Brock Purdy to say, okay, there's only a certain amount of possessions that you have to win the game because of what we're doing as far as time possession is concerned. Go ahead and try to make things happen. The 49ers don't want to have that responsibility put on Brock Purdy. So all of these things that are so advantageous for the Dallas Cowboys, advantageous, kid, look it up, stop smiling at me, advantageous for the Dallas Cowboys by having a balanced offense which consists of running the football game. We've seen what it's done for the San Francisco 49ers except for one uh, strong uh, difference. San Francisco is putting out Brock Purdy and the Dallas Cowboys are putting out Dak Prescott. So, yeah, man, are you going to be going that avenue when speaking about the Dallas Cowboys? Or are you going to be doing the glass half empty? Defense gave up 327 yards, 23 points to a team that averages about 280 yards and 16 points per game. Houston went 7 for 15 on third down attempts. Um, the Cowboys on offense turned the ball over three times. Uh, you could take a look and say, hey, man, you know, their main competition, the Philadelphia Eagles, they haven't played that poorly in months. They seem to be getting better. Did you see that game against the New York Giants? If the Cowboys have anything like that type of showing in the playoffs against the um, Philadelphia Eagles, it's a wrap, baby. And I'm not talking about RAP. I'm talking about WRAP. You understand what I'm saying? It is over if they're going to play that way against the Philadelphia Eagles because outside of losing to my Washington Commanders and barely getting by Indianapolis 17-16 to in Week 11, Philadelphia Eagles, both offensively and defensively, have been on point. So again, the history of Dallas underachieving in the playoffs, that's still going to stay with that team. How much, again, are you going to take away from the performance by the Cowboys on Sunday? Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. Um, What's the big of the Minnesota Vikings? Hmm? Missed out on clinching the NFC North for the second consecutive week, losing to Detroit 34-23. I believe that game was almost a pick'em. I, I don't know. But I mean it's a situation where, hey man, there's a there that that was not a the Detroit Lions beat the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, what was the last time? I mean, wouldn't it be headline news? Wouldn't it be head scratching news? Wouldn't it be surprising news? Wouldn't it be considered an upset of the season during this time that the Detroit Lions in the last, I don't know, five, ten, fifty years beat uh, a team with a 10-2 and record this late in the season. I shouldn't say 50 years, though. That's, that's wrong. They had Barry Sanders. They had Scott Mitchell. Never mind. But wouldn't it be headline news if that was the case? You know, what in the world of Eric Hipple is going on with the uh, Detroit Lions? What is going on in the words of Calvin Johnson with the um, with the um, Detroit Lions? But more importantly, what is happening to the Minnesota Vikings? Viking fans, what do you take away from this game? Number one, I know you're going to focus on Kirk Cousins. I know you're going to focus on the offense. I know you're going to focus on how can a team that has just Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and these guys not be able to do what they needed to do against a Detroit team that has been giving up big yardage and scoring and allowing big points to be scored against them on defense. 
What's going on in a game where the Vikings had an opportunity to clinch a division that on offense they didn't lay the smack down on the um, Detroit Lions if just smell what the Vikings are cooking. Don't look at the offense. Take a look at the defense. That's been a major problem for Minnesota. They've allowed 120-plus rushing yards in five of their last six contests while giving up 307-plus passing yards in five consecutive outings. That's the deal right there. So against the Lions on Sunday, Vikings gave up 34 points, 464 yards of total offense. Week 11 against the Dallas Cowboys, remember when I was speaking about that shellacking that they took at home? Dallas had 40 points, 458 yards of total offense. Look, despite they having the second best record in the NFC, tied with Dallas at 10-3, as of right now, Minnesota looks like the most likely to lose in their first playoff game. And if they did, if they lost to uh, the Commanders or if Seattle gets into the playoffs or if the Giants stay in, if they beat the Minnesota Vikings on the road, would anybody be surprised? Would you be surprised? I mean, you got the NFL red zone? Or do you got the dish to be watching the Vikings play? Have you been watching the highlights on the uh, pregame of the um, Sunday night football game or over on the NFL Network. Have you been watching those highlights? Have you been hearing the chatter? Have you been hearing the discussion? The Vikings on defense have not looked good. And do you trust Kurt Cousins? Hey, man, if you have some questions about the Dallas Cowboys, rightfully so, but if you have some questions about the Dallas Cowboys um, in terms of what they can do in the playoffs, I mean, wouldn't that also elude to the discussion concerning Kirk Cousins on what he can do, what he can bring outside of a miraculous game against the New Orleans Saints a couple of years ago where they won in overtime and Cousins produced. Other than that, um, it hasn't been anything much. And after that game against the New Orleans Saints where Cousins, where it was kind of like, oh man, did Kirk Cousins turn the corner? Uh, he made a U-turn and went back to being his old self in the next playoff game that season. Was it San Francisco? San Francisco, Green Bay, one of those two. But I remember in the next playoff game, he was fucking awful. So, you know, if 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 the defense isn't going to get any better and, it's, and they're going to ask Kirk Cousins to throw uh, jump balls or alley-oops to uh, Justin, Justin Jefferson, that ain't beating the San Francisco 49ers. That ain't beating the Philadelphia Eagles. And guess what, chum? That ain't beating the Dallas Cowboys. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. 4.30 left to go in the third quarter. Lakers down by 14 to the uh, Lakers. I'm sorry, Lakers down by 14 to the Boston Celtics. Coming back after a horrendous game against the Los Angeles Clippers. That was a game where it was just like, fuck it, man. Flush it down the toilet, we move on. So, there you go. Um, let's see, what else do I want to talk about in the uh, NFC? Giants, starting off the New York Giants, starting off the season 7-2. and two. Have won once in their last six games. Were dominated against Philadelphia. What do you do with Saquon Barkley? What do you do with Daniel Jones? Did you put the franchise tag on Jones and you say, Barkley, see you later? I don't know. The, the Giants were a mirage. We always knew they were a mirage. They were 0-3 against the Cowboys and the Eagles this season. They were dominated on Sunday, allowing 253 yards rushing. So, uh, yeah, it was a nice little story, but uh, who knows, man. They don't look ready for prime time just yet. All right, that's the NFC. That is the NFC right there. When we get back after we listen to the little Christmas music, I don't know if I'm going to play Stevie. I don't know if I'm going to play Otis. 
I don't know if I want to play James Brown because he might be going to the ghetto with Santa Claus. But um, whatever it is, it's going to be a toe tapper. It's going to be a knee slapper. It's going to be boogie. It's going to be funky. It's going to be soulful. It's going to be great. And uh, it's going to be like, you know, Wendell's World of Sports. I do this with 100%, 200%, 300% soul power. When we get back to the podcast, um, the AFC, take a look at them. Take a look at the Bills. Take a look at the Cincinnati Bengals. Take a look at the Miami Dolphins. Take a look. Take a listen. We'll see all those type of things. We'll hear all those type of things. We'll discuss all those type of things on Wendell's World and Sports. Merry Christmas, baby. Should it treat me nice? The greatest of them all. The greatest of them all. Every time I hear that man's voice, the greatest of them all. I wanted so badly to do a YouTube episode about December 10th, where you had two legendary soul artists, two legendary musical artists dying. Well, Sam Cooke died the morning of December 11th, where he was uh, murdered by uh, Bertha Franklin, that fucking bitch. May she rot, rot in hell. And uh, December 10th, 3.28 in the afternoon, Otis Redding's plane went down in Lake Manoma, 26 years old. He was gone, the king of soul, the greatness, the legendary, the great one. Want to always talk about the story of Otis Redding. Should be an inspiration, man. Should be an inspiration. Why are we not talking about the story of Otis Redding in schools? Why are we not educating the kids of all races, faces, and places around the globe, and especially in this country, about the story of Otis Redding? Why are we not speaking about this in the classrooms? Why are we not talking about Otis and Booker T and the MGs and Stack Studios in that environment, in those relationships? Why are we not talking about that in the schools? In a country so divided, in a country so ignorant, in a country so divided, in a country so radically different, why are we not talking about this? Now, you may laugh, and you may joke, and you may roll your eyes, and you may sigh, and you may clown me, and you may say some bad things about me, but if you are going to be doing those things, that is strictly you talking in ignorance, talking from ignorance, talking about ignorance, when you are trying to... um, clown me or are you trying to debate me on why the story of Otis Redding should not be told in the school districts all across the country and talk about the life and the relationship that Otis Redding had in the environment in the time that he had 
Again, when we as people are so divided and we don't know anything about each other, my community don't know shit about what's happening in the Asian community or in the Hispanic community. White folks don't know what's happening in my community or in Asian communities or in other communities. The role, the lessons that could be taught with Otis Redding and how he overcame prejudice, bigotry, and formed relationships at a time in the 1960s and 50s where prejudice was practiced, preached, and taught and the relationships that he formed, how can that how can that not be discussed for a little bit with the uh, with the younger generation who, oh by the way, is going to, supposed to be taking care of us? Just just asking, man. Just asking. I'm sorry to get on my soapbox. I'm sorry to go there. I know we're supposed to be talking about sports. My bad. I'm sorry, but it just infuriates me. And I'm sorry I didn't have the opportunity to fully uh, educate some kids up there in terms of the greatness and the importance of not just Otis Redding, but also the greatness of Sam Cooke and what December 10th and 11th meant meant when those two historical figures um, died. So there you go, man. Maybe I will do a maybe I will do a video on that. I don't know. We'll see. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, and this was about the same time James Brown died too. So. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Let's go ahead and talk about the AFC. Let's go ahead and take a look at the playoff picture for the AFC. Division leaders, number one seed, Buffalo Bills, 10-3. Number two seed leaders in the AFC West, the Kansas City football team at 10-3. Number three seed leaders, because of the head-to-head competition in the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens at 9-4, the struggling, faltering uh, Tennessee Titans leading the AFC South at seven and six. Wild card Cincinnati, the number five seeds at nine and four. The number sixteen seeds are still the uh, Miami Dolphins at eight and five, despite losing two games in a row and falling from a first place lead in the AFC East from a couple of weeks ago. The final playoff spot belongs to the San Diego Justin Herberts. Man, Justin Herbert's a baller. Good Lord, that kid can play. And we chose Chase Young. And at the time, I was kind of like, cool. I was rooting. I was cheering for my now commanders to uh, lose games so we could get Chase Young. I had no idea that Justin Herbert was going to be this good. And I had no idea that Chase Young was going to blow out his knee and have a slow recovery. But, uh, yeah, Justin Herbert. I think the last quarterback as of right now who's really going to get himself a bag in terms of uh, him and Lamar Jackson. Those are the only two left, right? Mahomes got his dough. Uh, Josh Allen got his bread. Uh, so of all the great quarterbacks, uh, the only two that are left that are going to uh, reap the benefits of their greatness is going to be Mahomes. Excuse me, it's going to be Justin Herbert and um, Lamar Jackson. So good for those guys, man. Good for those guys. Too bad City didn't marry one of those two. I need to uh, be relaxing and chilling in my townhome in Monaco. So um, the wild card, 9-4, Cincinnati, number 5, Miami, number 6, San Diego, excuse me, Los Angeles, number 7. On the outside looking in are the New York Jets and the New England Patriots, both 7-6. and six. Others, the Jacksonville Jaguars, playing much better. They're not going to make the playoffs, but they're playing much better. Trevor Lawrence looks like he is maybe, possibly, starting to become that guy. Uh, Las Vegas five and eight, Cleveland five and eight, Pittsburgh five and eight, with um, Mitchell Trubisky playing quarterback because uh, Pickett got his bell rung. You can say goodbye for possible victories for the Pittsburgh Steelers as long as Trubisky is in there, and then we have the rest being 
the Indianapolis Colts, 4-8-1. Oh, Jeff Saturday might decide that, you know what, he might want to spend some more time with his family and coach high school basketball, uh, high, high school football after uh, this deal of him being the coach of the, uh, doing fantasy camp in terms of coaching the Indianapolis Colts, thanks to Bob, uh, uh, Jim Irsay. But the Colts are 4-8-1, the Denver Broncos 3-10. and Even when Russ plays well, he cooks by getting a concussion. And Houston, of course, led by Black Santa Claus, Lovey Smith, 1-11-1. Again, if I'm Bryce Young and I see the Houston Texans play, I say, Nick, uh, if you could get me a couple of more Dr. Pepper uh, commercials and maybe a couple of really big uh, NILs, I might stay for another year. You already wasted two years of my career. Do you really want to go down like that? Russell Westbrook, would you please stop shooting three-pointers? Goodness fucking gracious. And I'm not even a Laker fan. Armando, stop throwing things at the television. Just yell at Westbrook for that bullshit. But getting back to the um, getting back to the NFL, yeah, the Bills, uh, the storylines coming out of the uh, weekend, this weekend in the AFC. Hey, man, are the Bills back? Are the Are you now confident? Because remember, going into the regular season, it was Josh Allen being the MVP of the league, right? And the Buffalo Bills having the best chance to win the Super Bowl. They took a little dip. Midway through the season there, they were no longer in first place in the AFC East after losing to Miami and to, they didn't lose to Miami. Who did they lose to? They lost to, um, they lost to the Jets and they lost to somebody else. I'll look it up in a second, but they fell from first place to uh, third place behind Miami and the Jets. Um, Josh Allen was turning the ball over and all this kind of stuff. And I remember speaking saying, hey, look, man. Every team that wins a championship, with the exception of one, and that was the 1972 Miami Dolphins, and even they faced some adversity when Bob Greasy broke his leg and Earl Morrill came into the game uh, to uh, finish out the regular season. And then um, Shula put Greasy back into the game during the AFC Championship, a playoff game. But, uh, you know, every team is going to be facing some adversity, right? So, because the Bills are not doing that, have faced some adversity, what does that mean? What do you think? Does that mean that the Bills are going to be faltering, or do they have the character to uh, go ahead and uh, get it done? Character to uh, rebound? Well, it looks like they went ahead and they rebounded, and very importantly, they won that game on Sunday against the New York Jets in a way that they're going to have to win football games, i.e. defense and uh, winning an ugly ugly weather because it was a situation where hey man it was not uh it was not rosy it's going to be buffalo weather if the bills have a playoff uh home field advantage throughout the uh, playoffs then the jets then the kansas city football team uh then the uh other teams are going to have to come to that tundra and play in an environment that buffalo should be more used to you never get used to cold weather you never get used to exceedingly hot weather, but you know how to deal with it a little bit more. You know how to prepare for it a little bit more. And with the Bills, I mean, there's a situation where if they're going to be playing, it's a situation where during the week they'll be able to play in those elements, practice in those elements, get used to those elements, live in those elements, go grocery shopping in those elements, take their kids to school in those elements, hang out at the clubs in those elements. So they'll be a little bit more used to those elements than, say, a team like Miami, than, say, a team like New England, than, say, a team like the Chargers than say a team like um, the others like Kansas City who are going to have to be going to that environment to play so the um, Bills won a game against New York 20-12 to defense was the reason why they won 
combined for four sacks, forced two turnovers. The Bills beat up and physically took uh, weeks and months, shall we say, off the quality of life of Jets quarterback Mike White. I mean, those two hits that he took. I don't know if Mike White is married. I don't know if he has any children. But if Mike White's level of uh, living was just, say, 80 years, then those two hits that he took knocked about, I don't know, maybe a half an hour off his life. Because those were uh, pretty doggone devastating, man. Pretty doggone devastating. Um, um, the uh, first one, he was destroyed by Ed Oliver. That had to hurt. He missed a, a series while being evaluated for rib injuries after being struck by uh, Matt Milano the second time. And, um, hey, man, give him kudos for playing. But uh, I would have been like, hey, fellas, you know what? The next time I see you guys and I have a baseball bat, I'm going to go up to your ribs and swing as hard as I fucking can. Because that's what it felt like when I got hit. So will you motherfuckers please block somebody? That would be me with Mike White. If I were Mike White, that would be me talking to my lineman. Of course, I wouldn't be able to yell like that because my ribs would be, uh, my ribs would be, uh, you know, right near my penis the way that uh, Ed Oliver crushed them uh, in on that hit. So, look, the offense for Buffalo barely did anything in the game. 14 first downs only. They were 2 of 13 on third downs. Only had 232 yards. Allen threw from only 147 yards, uh, 16 of 27. Singletary and James Cook combined for 45 yards on 12 rushing attempts. But the Bills found a way to win the game against a legitimate playoff team like the uh, New York Jets. So I'm going to say that after back-to-back losses to the Jets and the Minnesota Vikings, that the Bills have recovered from their mid-season slump when Allen was turning the ball over, six interceptions, lost a fumble between weeks eight and ten. So I think that Buffalo has recovered. We'll see a little bit more of that evidence either way on Saturday when Miami goes down to uh, play them. Play them. But if you take a look at the remaining schedule for Buffalo, they have Miami, they have Chicago, they're at Chicago, they're at uh, Cincinnati, and they play New England. They have a two-game lead over Miami, a three-game lead over the New York Jets. Take a look at the Dolphins schedule, Buffalo, Green Bay, and then uh, New England, and then the Jets, and then you take a look at the Jets schedule, Detroit, Jacksonville, then they finish at uh, Seattle and at Miami. Of all the teams, I think, and you take a look at the three that I just mentioned, Buffalo, Miami, and the Jets in terms of who's going to be doing what, who has a chance to win the division, I think the most uh, vulnerable is going to be the Miami Dolphins. I get the Chargers for the second week in a row on offense, uh, not getting it done, and Tua was horrendous. Against the uh, Chargers on Sunday night, 10 of 28, 145 yards at half, with the Chargers leading 17 to 7. Tua was 3 of 15 for 25 yards. Herbert, by the way, was 24 of 29 for 222 yards and a touchdown. Damn, um, if I'm Stephen Ross, I'm like, who was who made the decision again to draft this motherfucker over Justin Herbert in the hall and is he employed? Because if he is, he's fired. <laughs> so, ey, not uh, not good for two. He had to look good in his last two games. Look, it's understandable. San Francisco has a great defense, blah blah blah. But two was just not playing well right now. Will he be able to uh, rebound? He's going to need to. Because um, you know he's going to do some. He needs to do some things. Miami does not have a running game that they can fall back on in terms of uh, you know the importance of winning these games or being proficient on offense. So 
is either two or a bust. You know, uh, the injury to uh, Tyreek Hill, I mean, it slows him down just a little bit. So what now? Instead of running a uh, two eight forty, he runs like what a, a three one. So uh, you know, we haven't heard anything from uh, Waddle. Uh, in the last couple of games, so uh, they need to get it together. Uh, they need, de- definitely need to uh, get things uh, together. So, yeah, there we go. Hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. Okay. Taking a look at the fourth quarter, 88-82, Boston ahead by six. Hmm, interesting. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So quickly, who is the best team? Who is the best team in the uh, AFC? Is it Buffalo? Is it Kansas City? Is it Cincinnati? Does Cincinnati really have Kansas City's um, number? Because they've won the last three games. Now, two of those three were in Cincinnati. They were both very close. One was the uh, championship game in which they won in overtime. So this is another situation where they are, you know, blowing out the uh, Chiefs or, or the, the, the football team from Kansas City or something like that. But, uh, you know, Joe Burrow playing like an MVP. Uh, Jamar Chase back to uh, playing uh, high-level football after missing some games with injury. Uh, missing T. Higgins. We don't know how long he's going to be out. But um, it's a situation where, now look, man, the, the, the Cincinnati Bengals, if you take a look, might have the most complete offense in not just the NFC, but also the NFL. When you take a look at quarterback Joe Burrow being an MVP candidate, doing what he can do, um, a situation where they have a strong running game, two-headed running game that can rival Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott when you have uh, Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon coming back. They already have a very talented um, wide receiving class and the offensive line, which was the bugaboo, which was the major weakness for the Bengals, seem to be uh, much playing much, much better. So um, don't be surprised. And you also have to remember, while Baltimore is dealing with injuries at the quarterback position, not just with Lamar Jackson, but also Todd Hundley, where he was uh, concussed on uh, Sunday, this is also a situation where, hey, man, you know, um, Baltimore might have an easier road down the uh, stretch, but all these games that Cincinnati are playing right now against playoff caliber teams and teams with a winning record, that's going to prepare them whether they win the division or not to where they're going to be able to uh, go ahead and have that playoff uh, type of uh, mojo, that playoff type of mentality, that playoff feel uh, moving forward uh, through the playoffs. So, you know, while the... Um, Kansas City football team against Denver kind of relaxed and almost gave up that lead. Um, They're playing well. I I still think when everything is all said and done, Cincinnati might be the biggest challenge in the AFC to uh, get back to the uh, Super Bowl. Uh, But then again, going through Buffalo, yes, Cincinnati has the same type of recipe as far as the environment is concerned. Similar, I I should say, for uh, Buffalo, but still, yet and still, Ben, you're, you're talking about having to go on the road and play that team for a championship game in Buffalo. It'll be very, very disappointed, very, very difficult, and we'll see what happens. <sighs> All right, when we get back, let me end the thing by introducing my discussions very quickly about the NBA. I was wanting to put this off as much as possible, but uh, we're going to go ahead and do it. We're going to... Uh, Discussed by Georgetown Hoyas very quickly. Can I have a towel? Can I have a tissue? Can I have a box of tissue, please? Because I'm going to need them. Because my eyes are already starting to get watery. 
So we'll go ahead and discuss my Georgetown Hoyas. Jesus, fuck with a squad. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World and Sports. Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Hitch up your reindeer uh, Go straight to the ghetto Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Fill every stocking you find The kids are gonna love you so uh, Leave a toy Johnny, leave a dog for Mary, leave something pretty for Johnny, and don't forget about Gary, Santa Claus, go straight to the ghetto, Santa Claus, go straight to the ghetto, tell him James Brown sent you. Wendell's World of Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace So glad that you could be with us Last segment of the podcast Last segment of the the program The Boston Celtics The Los Angeles Lakers Have gone in a 27-4 run Against the uh, Boston Celtics They now have the lead 92-88 with 841 left to go. Just when I thought it was safe for me to record a podcast because I said to myself, ah, Boston's going to rebound from that embarrassment uh, that they had uh, yesterday against the uh, Clippers where they lost by 20. Blowing this lead, this would be a big loss for the uh, Boston Celtics if they lose this game. What does it mean for the Los Angeles Lakers moving forward? Look, any time the Lakers are going to be doing something, we have Lakers fandom uh, with their bullshit, with their nonsense, talking about, oh my goodness gracious, hip hip array, we're going to be back to winning championships. Um, LeBron has played well. Anthony Davis, thank Jesus. I don't know where in the crossroads in Mississippi that the ghost of Robert Johnson told him to go to uh, go ahead and get his mojo back, but that man has been playing like an MVP over the past uh, 10 plus games, over 30 points, over 12 rebounds. I mentioned before, man, I mean, this was a situation with Anthony Davis. You know where Nikola Jokic is as far as his stature in the NBA, two-time MVP, best player in the game, one of the best players in the game, Joel Embiid, when he can remain healthy, what he did last season, putting up MVP-type numbers, finishing in the top two or three in MVP voting. We see what's going on with Luka. We see what's going on with all of these players. Remember when we were speaking about that? Remember when we were talking about that, when I was speaking about uh, Anthony Davis? You don't remember? You son of a... I was saying that, look, man, Anthony Davis should be right there. As of right now in his career, Anthony Davis should have won some MVPs by now. Anthony Davis should be, as of right now, I don't even think that he's 30 yet. He's either 28 or 29. Anthony Davis should be one of the top three or four players in the game right now. And he should have been one of the top three, four, five players in the game over the last uh, couple of seasons. He should have had the Lakers in a much better spot for him, for that team to win championships. And it should have been a situation by now that Anthony Davis should have been the guy that LeBron said, you know what? This is your team. You the man. You take me to championship number five, six, and seven, or wherever. You know, I'm going to help. 
I'll be there for you. We've seen this in the many we've seen this many times in the NBA. We saw this when Tim Duncan gave up the reins to Tony Parker and Monty Ginobili. We saw this in the NBA where Kareem Abdul Jabbar gave up the reins to Magic Johnson. We saw this in the NBA where Shaquille O'Neal gave up the reins to uh, um, D Wade. We saw this in the NBA where D Wade finally gave up the reins to LeBron James. We saw this in the NBA when David Robinson gave up the reins to Tim Duncan. We've seen this in the NBA time and time and time and time and time again. So it would be a situation where at LeBron James in his 20th year, going to be 38, 39 years old, it's about time for him to say, I can no longer be that guy. You are that guy, Anthony Davis. That's why we mortgage half the franchise in the future of our franchise to get you. Because I need to catch Kobe. I need to catch MJ. That's the only thing that Michael Jordan has on me. Shut the fuck up with your bullshit about Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. I'm just making the point, you Jordan sheep motherfuckers. Calm the fuck down. What I'm saying is, before people start going nuts because of some reason they don't like LeBron James and any mention in a positive light of LeBron James being compared to Michael Jordan, you fucking stupid-ass Jordan-ass sheep start jumping up and down and ripping out your hair and running and foaming at the mouth and yelling and screaming and calling me all kind of names. Keep the racial slurs out your mouth now. Keep them racial slurs out the mouth when you're talking about me. When I'm talking about LeBron James in the positive light with with, uh, Michael Jordan, name me something in terms of if he can get the six championships, highly unlikely right now, with with, um, his squad with the Lakers even if they're playing this way right now, even if Anthony Davis continues to play this well. But outside of the championships, LeBron has four, MJ has six. Come on, man. I mean, LeBron's going to have more points. LeBron's going to have more rebounds. LeBron's going to have more assists. LeBron's going to have more impact on society in the game. LeBron is going to uh, either surpass, match, or come close to everything Michael Jordan did in his career. Maybe with the exception of the all-defense. But LeBron, in the days where he actually cared about playing defense, was a guy who could play some defense and some very great defense. And as far as revolutionizing the game, as far as his imprint on the game, as far as his long-lasting impact, as far as the cultural, as far as the physical, as far as the way that he played the basketball game, just he's right there with uh, MJ. He's right there with MJ. He's right there with MJ. He's right there with MJ. I'm sorry to say that. He's right there with MJ. All you Jordan sheep who think that MJ can fucking walk on water, that he can have a cure for AIDS and cancer, that he's the guy that can get rid of the coronavirus, the guy who can bring peace to the Middle East and bring this country together. For those of you clowns who think that, I'm sorry to say that. I'm sorry to bring you back to reality land. But LeBron James can stack up with Michael Jordan. I didn't say be better, be better than him. But I'm saying the argument can be made with Michael Jordan and LeBron James on a whole lot of things. Again, that, that I'm not saying that in all those discussions and all those arguments that LeBron James is going to grade out to be better. I didn't say that before you motherfuckers lose your mind. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, the only thing definitive that uh, MJ has over LeBron is the championships. So Anthony Davis was supposed to be that guy to get him to championships number five and number six, or at least number five. So the stronger discussion can be made. So um, yeah, it's good to see Davis playing that well, as it looks like the Celtics with seven minutes left to go are running out of gas and are now down by six with uh, seven minutes left to go. So um, on my YouTube episode, I am going to be discussing 
the uh, NBA. I'm going to be discussing what's happening in the NBA. Just going to give you a breakdown of what's happening in the NBA in terms of right now. We're about 20, we're about 26, 27 games in. Boston still the leaders in the uh, Western Conference, Milwaukee, in the Eastern Conference, excuse me, Milwaukee, right there at number two, Cleveland, number three, the acquisition of Donovan Mitchell paying dividends, the Brooklyn Nets, the surging Brooklyn Nets. Everyone's speaking about the Lakers doing this and doing that. Hey, man, at least Brooklyn has themselves a winning record. They're number four, 17 and 12, and goodness gracious, Kevin Durant aging like some fine wine, baby. Um, Philadelphia, underachieving, but still 14 and 12. They're the number five seed. And those New York stinking Knicks coming in at number six with a 14 and 13 record still early in the season. Um, Let me see here. Playing tournament, you have Atlanta, you have Indiana, you have Toronto, you have Miami. Miami scrapping up 13 and 15. Toronto 13 and 14. They're always going to play hard. Toronto, uh, Indiana, a surprise at 14 and 14. The Hawks, Stagnant, 14-14. We don't know exactly what's going on with Trey Young and head coach Nate McMillan. I guess, you know, Nate McMillan, I don't know, Trey, you, you might want to try playing some defense. I'm sorry if that, uh, you know, gets you upset at me, but it would be nice if you could play some defense. I mean, you know, just every blue moon. Outside looking in, the Chicago Bulls, 11-15. My Washington Wizards, 17-11. They're going down the drain. They're going down the drain. Orlando at number 13, 8-20. Charlotte, 7-20. And, and the Pistons, who just lost Cade Cunningham, 7-22. Um, the good news with Charlotte. The good news with Orlando. The good news with Detroit. Going to the Western Conference, the good news with San Antonio, the good news with Houston is that they continue to lose. Victor Wembanyama is tearing up shop in his pro league in France, so the savior might be coming their way. And for a guy coming from another country who didn't grow up in this culture where they think that going to L.A. or going to a big market is the end-all, the be-all, I think if you're a team like the Detroit Pistons, if you're a team like the Charlotte Hornets or the Orlando Magic, who, by the way, doesn't have state tax in Florida, you just have to deal around to Santos. Um, teams like the Houston Rockets, Another state where they don't have state tax, but you have to deal with fucking assholes and race-baiting losers like uh, Louis Gomer and Dan Patrick, Attorney General Dan Patrick. Um, let me see here. Um, who's that motherfucker? Ted Cruz and those guys. Same thing with San Antonio. While you have to deal with those politicians fucking up with your, uh, with your deal, uh, you still get the advantage of living in a uh, state a tax state free environment and you know when things when when the season's over women yana can go back to la Pelerie, walk along the champs Elysees, uh head on over to switzerland and kick it and chill and enjoy that environment not to deal with not not deal with the bullshit 24 7 in this country that we have to deal with so good news for those teams but uh yeah top teams the new orleans pelicans gonna speak a little bit more about them when i do my um discussions on the nba zion could you imagine? Could you imagine the day when Zion finally learns some back to the basket moves and learns how to go to his offhand a little bit more? I mean, already he's just dominating, and if he can stay healthy, good lord have mercy. There ain't nobody. There ain't nobody. There ain't nobody. Ain't nobody gonna get in front of Zion. Ain't nobody. Is that crazy? I'm telling you, man. So, um, Zion is uh, something else, and it's good. 
that he's come back this strong because after last year, I was thinking to myself, hey man, with Zion and Ja Morant, Zion went number one to New Orleans, Memphis picked Ja number two. The way Ja's playing, the way Ja's evolving, the way Ja's improving, the way Ja has an impact on his team, could we be looking and with Zion not getting any time, missing the entire season, he's fat, he's out of shape, he's overweight, he's feuding, he's having some disagreements with David Griffith in the upper management with New Orleans. It was kind of like a hold your breath, cross your fingers, pray to Jesus type of moment when you signed him to that contract extension that he could stay healthy. All those things went into play to say, hey man, could we be looking back in about three or four years and say that the Zion jaw draft could be memorable in the way that Sam Bowie, Michael Jordan draft was, or Greg Oden, Kevin Durant was, because the way Zion was going, man, there would be there was a good possible situation where, in about say four or five years, he could have been out of the league, and Ja is winning MVP, setting the world on fire, increasing the um, increasing the uh, financial uh, wherewithal of the Memphis Grizzlies in winning championships. So, you know, it was a situation where it's kind of like me, man. Is that going to be the uh, cause? But uh, Zion has definitely turned it around and is playing some great basketball. Didn't like the fact that he did that 360-degree dunk at the end of the Phoenix game. Neither did Chris Paul, but it was a situation where it's kind of like, you going to go up and say something to him? you going to go up and get physical with that guy for doing some shit like that? Now, if you're Herbert Jones III or if you're some other guy or you're Brandon Mingram, you might say, hey, Zion, you might want to cut that out because they're not going to take that shit out on you. They're going to take that shit out on me. You know, sort of like, you know, the pitcher who throws the ball, um, the, the, the pitcher who intentionally hits a batter, and the star goes, hey, man, what the fuck are you doing? Because guess what? When they retaliate, they ain't going to be throwing the ball at your ribs. They're going to be throwing the ball in my ribs. So could you please cut that shit out? So it's a situation where it's kind of like, eh, I would be a little bit careful, but uh, the New Orleans Pelicans are playing some really good basketball. Um, Memphis, number two. Denver, number three. Phoenix, faltering as of right now, number four, 16-11. Sacramento, playing some really good basketball. For a while there, they were the best basketball team in California. When you had Golden State struggling, when you had the Lakers, the Clippers struggling with Kawhi out, and uh, who else do you had? You had Clippers, the Lakers, Golden State, and Sacramento. So yeah, of, of those four teams, at the Lakers continue to pour it on the Celtics. 105-93, a 35-31-5 to run in the last 836. Nia, look, I know... I, I, I know that Emeke did you wrong, but I'm just saying, when we just got blown out in, in you know, L.A., okay, at the end of the road trip, I got you, I got you, I got you, okay. Joe Mozilla, he'll still keep doing your thing. But, um, yeah, the Nuggets, number three, Phoenix, number four, Sacramento, number five, playing the best basketball for the California teams at a certain point in the uh, season. Uh, Portland. At one time, the number one seed in the Western Conference, still hanging around a 14-12. and 12. The Clippers, best win of the season. Kawhi, best performance of the season. Last uh, night against the Celtics. Um, let's see, the Warriors getting better. Jazz faltering. Luka in the Magics. In, in, the, um, in, in the Mavericks. Uh, after that blowout loss against Chicago. Without Luka, of course, but they came back and got it done against OKC. OKC. Say Shea Gildress Alexander, if he was playing on any other team, we'll be speaking about him in terms of being a top five or six player so far in the league. But um, the Timberwolves, disappointing. Lakers surging. 
improving, not surging, improving. OKC, San Antonio, and the Rockets. That's the Western Conference. Those are the teams. Those are the situations. Those are the games. What I'm going to be talking about. Okay, really quickly. I can't do this right now. I'm going to save it for my... uh, I'm going to save it for my um, episode, my YouTube episode. Georgetown sucks. They suck. They suck. They suck. They suck. And after that, they suck. They're an embarrassment. All my joy is gone watching this team. There's a finality... There's a fatality about watching this team because I know they're going to lose. I know they're going to lose. And it sucks. It is horrible. And yeah, it affects my watching of college basketball. I can't watch college basketball when Georgetown is this bad. Why? Because it just makes me angry. And don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. When you're speaking about college basketball, man, because you take a look at these teams. Houston right now, with Kelvin Sampson, is number one, or he was number one at one time. Come on, man. This was Houston. This was a team that had uh, Clyde Drexler as their coach. This was a team that was in the wilderness of of uh, irrelevancy for a long time. This is not a team in one of the Power Five conferences when you're speaking about Houston. You know, they went out, got themselves a coach in Kelvin Sampson, who, okay, he did some dirty while he was at Indiana. He paid the price, paid his penance, got uh, educated a little bit more while hanging out with uh, Kevin McHale as the assistant coach for the Houston Rockets when McHale was the coach there. But come on, man. Damn, we can't get anybody. Chris Beard just got arrested, right, for some type of physical violence or something like that. Hey, man, I'm at the point, I don't... Give a damn if he damn near OJ'd whoever he was uh, uh, abusing or hitting or whatever. Hey, if he's available, Georgetown hire him. Now, of course, they won't because that's really a bad look. And that's not what college football, what college uh, uh, um, basketball is all about at Georgetown. But, man, go out and get me a Rick Matino. Go out and get me a Chris. Go out and get me somebody who can fucking coach. 68-year-old Rick Matino. Yes, get him. Bring him to Georgetown, please. I'm begging you, the George, the, the Patrick Ewing, my America's coach, Patrick Ewing, it's over. It's over. It's over. It's over. It should have been over last year, but now it's over. It's over. Would you please stop playing Brandon Murray and Primo Spirit 35, 38 fucking minutes a game? Can we get Jordan Riley in the game for five fucking minutes? For a team that doesn't make three-pointers and doesn't shoot three-pointers, we have one of the best three-point shooters in high school last year, Dev- uh, England, Denver England, a four-star recruit sitting on the bench. Can we please put him in the fucking game? Please. What What can it hurt? We're fucking losing games anyway. We should have lost to Coppin. We lost to American. Playing Denver England 10 minutes. Who fucking cares, man? Come on, Pat. It doesn't fucking matter. We're losing games anyway. The recipe that you have now to play Murray, Spears, and Jay Heath, 98% of the game, it's not fucking working. By the second half, they're dead tired. They're getting blown out. They go on these long runs where they don't play any defense. Their defensive rotations are beyond horrendous. Their defensive IQ are that of mentally challenged level. They're pathetic. They're horrible. They're terrible. Can I can I see Jordan Riley? At least he plays defense. At least he hustles on defense. At least he brings some athleticism. So what if he'll get five fouls in eight minutes? Play him anyway. We can't play Ryan Matambo. We have to continue to play uh, Cutis Wahab 28, 30 minutes a game unless he gets in foul trouble. 
The man has been in college for four fucking years with two universities, and he still can't go to his offhand. He still doesn't have a backup move to uh, when when people when players um, take away his right hand. Four fucking years, four fucking years, and you're coached by Patrick Ewing for three of them, and you still don't have a backup move. You still don't have a jump uh, a, a jump hook with your left hand. You still don't have an up and under. You still don't have a Kevin McHale. You still don't have a reverse pivot. You still don't know how to use your left fucking hand. What the fuck are you doing in the summers? Going back to Nigeria and hanging out with uh, the rest of the gang? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Georgetown's going to lose on Friday to Xavier. Then they play uh, Connecticut. Oh, my God. They're going to get blown out. They're going to get blown out. The one thing, though, is that I don't get angry anymore at this team. They stink. We know they stink, so, you know, when Georgetown was good, when they were relevant, when they would lose, it would kind of put me in a funk for like, I don't know, 8 to 12 hours. Now I don't even care. Now I know they're going to lose. It's just like watching a train wreck. It's like watching a car wreck. I'm just just I'm just going to sit back and watch to see how this car gets in an accident today. That, that's, that's all there is to it. How are we going to lose? Doesn't matter if we're up against Syracuse. We were up 17 to 6. I knew we were going to lose. I didn't get excited. I didn't like, oh man, they're turning it around. I knew we were going to lose. No doubt about it. The first time uh, that another team goes on a run and we go four to five minutes without doing anything as far as scoring or anything, we turn the ball over. We play horrible defense. We don't score for four or five minutes. The team goes ahead and now scores us like 15 nothing, 14 3. We don't have the consistency on offense to catch up. So if we're behind by double digits or something like that, especially in the second half, we don't have the offensive consistency to outscore somebody. Yeah, I know Texas Tech. The only reason why we got back into the game against Texas Tech is because basically they just stopped playing. But if a team kind of halfway gives a damn, we ain't coming back from any type of deficit. We're not coming back from a double-digit double, double digit deficit. Do, do you really think that we could put a string of baskets in, in – in, in basketball plays on offense together while playing enough defense to hold a team scoreless for three, four, five minutes? No. <laughs> there's no way. We, 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 there's no way. We can't hold a team scoreless for multiple possessions. We stink. We stink. We stink. We stink. And with that being said, I'm out of here. I want to thank everybody for listening um, to my podcast as usual, man. Let's see what we can do. Um, I was speaking about Otis Redding. I was speaking about, you know, learning some things. I was speaking about what can we do in terms of, ooh, Boston's coming back. Yeah, so let me hurry up and get through with this so I can watch the end of this game. Um, what can we do to um, make a better world? What can we do to have the kids, to have the generations kind of learn and understand um, so they become better people all across the globe? What can we do, man? Listen, learn, continue to uh, educate the young ones. Um, it, it ain't all about the uh, school books, man. It ain't all about the algebra. It's not all about the uh, history in terms of uh, ancient history and all that kind of stuff. You might not know about history. You might not know geography. You might not know something about the science books. You might not even know about the French you took. But I do know that I love this society. And I know that if you love the society, teaching and learning and educating what a wonderful world it would be. Sam Cook murdered December 11th. Watch it, kids. Learn something. Learn about the magnitude and the greatness of Sam Cook and how his greatness and his impact on music affects your life, your everyday life today. Can we do that, please? And can someone please teach these kids 
what Sam and others from other genres of music from other parts of the world did for their society. If we could do that, man, that'd be awesome. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Donny Hathaway, hang on the mistletoe. I'm going to get to know you better this Christmas. The greatest, the greatest Christmas song of them all. Donny, get me on out of here. Cards are here, my world is filled 